Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com. This is St. Louis on the Air from St. Louis Public Radio. I'm Elaine Cha. Because of what we eat and how we get our food, outbreaks of foodborne disease are a common occurrence in the U.S. Salmonella sits among the top germs that sicken people, to the order of 1.35 million a year. For most, infection means being laid up with stomach flu-like symptoms. For others, though, it's bad enough to land them in a hospital, and about 420 people die each year because of salmonella. In partnership with Harvest Public Media, STLPR economic development reporter Eric Schmidt is tackling this topic. His reporting looks into research led by University of Missouri scientists who are working to develop better tools for salmonella detection. He joins us today to tell us more about that story. Eric, welcome back to the show. Hey, Elaine. Thanks for having me. How is it that most people are infected with salmonella? What foods are they consuming? Yeah, so it can come from a lot of different places. If you look at the website, there are uh, the CDC website that is they track or they will investigate various different foods. Uh, Chicken is one of the top ones. And that's just because, you know, chickens can have a lot of it. They can have a little of it. um, And this extends to those big processing plants or even backyard chickens as well. Mm -hmm. Now, let's talk about the current process for testing for salmonella. Eric, how long does it take for salmonella to be identified? And then what happens once it's confirmed? Mm-hmm. So in the course of this reporting, I spoke to a couple different experts or researchers in this field who say that salmonella, when it comes to chicken, is tested for at the processor. So the processor, every however many packages of chicken are, are uh, produced, they'll have a sample product that is sent off to a lab. And then that lab will run a micro uh, test based on microbiology, and then the, the result will come back. That it takes about you know a couple days, up to three days, for that result to come back. The actual test doesn't take that long, but it takes time to get the sample to the lab mm. for the lab to get the sample ready for testing, and then for the test to actually occur. And by that time, the chicken at the processor that you know it could be traced back to has gone on its way to the grocery store, to wherever it would go next, grocery stores, restaurants, uh, food banks, you know, anywhere where packaged chicken could get to. I spoke with uh, this person named Tim Safransky. He is a researcher at Mizzou who is part of this project, and he was able to really explain what this means. And, And of course, he had the disclaimer of saying, Right now, it works. This system works. It's not like this system is bad by any stretch of the imagination. It's just that it could be better. At the plant, that's the last time that it's tested. And at that time, it can detect a certain level of pathogen. And if there's none detected, it's assumed safe. If cold chain is maintained, it remains safe. If it's properly cooked afterward, it would remain safe. But there's lots of opportunities along the way where things might might not work correctly. It might fall down. And by cold chain, he means that the 
chicken, once it's packaged up at the processor, it goes onto that truck and the truck stays cold. And then it gets to the grocery store and it stays cold at the grocery store. And then you pick it up from the grocery store and you transport it back to your house and then it stays cold there. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of steps in that process where something could just go wrong. I mean, accidents do happen all the time. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the, the research and the ways that the research is being conducted. In what ways does that research address the biggest issues around salmonella detection specifically? Sure. So it's kind of broken down into two components. There are these new sensors that will be able to detect salmonella within about a 30-minute time period, sometimes faster. So that's one part of it. Um, There is one of the sensors that I was able to see uses lasers and fiber optics to basically like look at the molecular uh, construction of a sample. And then uh, one of the researchers, Mahmoud al-Masri, explains what that looks like. It comes back to a screen and there are these peaks on it. And he explains that if there are certain ones that are visible, that means that there is salmonella there. And if there are completely different peaks, then there are, um, then it's not salmonella that you're seeing. Those peaks correspond to a certain molecular component of the cell. Like for example, the molecules that forming the cell wall or the DNA and RNA in the sample or, or the carbohydrate or any other thing that is forming the salmonella. Each peak corresponds to something. When we see them, then we can tell if this is salmonella or not. If you don't see them, see different peak, you know that you are not detecting salmonella. And so with that, you know, we're looking at a computer screen in this case, but the idea is to take that whole concept and put it down into a product that is easy to move around, easy to use, and, and would be able to detect uh, detect salmonella at very at many more points. And so that's the second part of this research, which is to say, we know that it's tested at the processor, but what about when it gets to the grocery store mm-hmm. or when it's at the grocery store or if it gets to like a, a food bank there, you know, the researchers want to gain more knowledge of where chicken might have some contamination to be able to say, hey, we're, we're seeing in maybe the western part of Missouri that there's a higher probability or likelihood or risk of salmonella. So maybe you know grocery stores or people who are interacting with the, these chicken products just be a little bit more aware or you know shorten the shelf life or you know maybe not use these products so that overall us as the consumer or people who rely on on food banks and food pantries don't wind up sick because of food that they thought was safe. Right. And there's more than one type of salmonella bacteria, a whole range of them. Yeah. And I think I had also read that uh, raw flour and cookie dough, I think in the last year, was a, a culprit of um, being something that people were eating that was making them sick. Mm-hmm. But this is not just about salmonella, Mm-mm. right? No. Yeah, so it, it's it starts with salmonella, but the principles that these researchers are, are using to develop these different sensors, and the one that I described before, that's just one. They have a couple others that they're working on as well. The principles are just to detect specific bacteria. So listeria, staph, those are other foodborne pathogens that 
the researchers could recalibrate this, these machines to to be able to detect. Um, Kantha Chanaya explained that really well when I was visiting Mizzou. Name it any pathogen, you know, we can apply this principle and concept and we can extend, you know, the scope of this technology to other pathogens, assuring the safety. Which is pretty remarkable, and it, and it shows how this is not just this is just the very beginning phase of research and technology that could be promising if it comes to fruition in mm-hmm. the years to come. And there are a number of researchers from different institutions across the Midwest, right? Mm-hmm. Tell me a little bit about that. This research is being led by researchers from the University of Missouri, but they have collaborators at University of Missouri St. Louis. There's a, a researcher there who's very adept at supply chain analytics. So he's able to build this idea of where to place the sensors or, or, or the possibility of where they should go. Um, there's also help from the university, uh, from Notre Dame, from Lincoln University, Auburn University. And, and what this enables is to leverage knowledge from a, a lot of different places and it's one of the goals that the National Science Foundation's Convergence Accelerator, which is what is funding this research, it's what they wanted. They want people to collaborate around so that they can develop not just new ideas, but something that could actually come to the market soon. And that and that's what these researchers hope to do in the coming years. Mm-hmm. Now, we have been talking mostly about those who are in labs. And earlier, as you were describing the cold chain, Um, You also talked about the different places where people are going to be coming in contact with the the product um, and then those who are going to be consuming it, right? And there are certain populations that are more vulnerable to the risk of foodborne illness. What are those populations, Eric? Yeah, so it's not necessarily surprising, but it is people who are have in in neighborhoods that are typically lower income that are majority minority it just is that those parts of our food network don't necessarily have access to super high quality food and and it, that's just part of the system that is built in part of part of this reporting i spoke with um carlton adams who's the chief operating officer at operation food search which is based in st louis basically what they do they're a food bank but they distribute food to all of these uh, food pantries and other agencies in Missouri and Illinois that eventually that food gets to people who need it the most. And he has a unique view on this because it's, you know, they're not in the business to make money off of groceries. And so they, like he, he expressed what, how this type of technology or research would be really beneficial for the work that his organization does. You know, this notion that you don't deserve to have food that is good food because you haven't, you know, didn't get straight A's in capitalism, that's crazy, right? So we, we make sure that at every point in the food supply chain, we're doing the best that we can. And so that's exciting for me to have access to that kind of data. And the thing that he was most excited about is even if the companies that he works with up the food food supply chain from him aren't using this technology if it were available the fact that he could use it and figure out or or his organization could use it and figure out okay this food is coming in and it has a higher load of salmonella or some other bacteria then they have a better sense of the food that is flowing through their organization they can work with the partners that they get food from to understand maybe this chicken or this meat is not the type of uh, thing that we should be accepting, or 
that they can have better storage practices. Or if there's you know an accident, say the power goes out, if that happens now, all of the food that has to stay cold is thrown away immediately. Right. And this might give an opportunity to save some of that food if they know it's not contaminated. Mm -hmm. And that's what he said. Once these sensors are developed, who'd be paying for them? Yeah, so right now the funding comes from the National Science Foundation. The researchers are, are submitting another phase for, for more funding. Uh, but part of how the NSF wants this program to develop is to actually have commercially viable products. So it would be companies like chicken processors would eventually pay for a product. And on the side of the analytics side of it, it there it's a you know, like a cloud-based software program that is, you know, helps make decisions or support decisions. So that would be something like a, a subscription model. So like the companies that process chicken, distribute chicken, uh, may you know come into contact with it at any point they could be the potential customers that would pay for this product should it be you know commercially viable and able to be produced at a large scale and how far away are we from that at least of multiple years uh i mean the 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 sensors are very much in a prototype phase and it will take time to transition them from their current status where it's a whole bunch of wires connected to different machines in a lab into a box that you could carry around and is sleek and refined and easy to use. And that process always takes time. And of course, in this case, you want to make sure that you get it right the first time and that there isn't any possibility of there to be false positives or false negatives because as we've been discussing, this affects people, and it, and it's it's something that you know you don't want to be wrong at. Mm -hmm. And this last question here is about other reporting that you've been doing. You've also been reporting about Boeing and its proposed one point eight billion dollar project in St. Louis County. Yeah. The company wants to build new advanced manufacturing space. What's the thrust of your reporting here? Yeah. So in this reporting, we really wanted to examine the request that Boeing is making and how the, especially the county government is is responding uh, because they're asking for a lot of, uh, a sizable amount of tax breaks. In this case, it would be about $155 million over 10 years. And that's only on the, the new construction should this happen. And what we really wanted to examine is, is this type of a thing worth it for St. Louis County to consider. And it's also complicated because the county recently voted against a property tax freeze for senior citizens. So there's this, these dueling ideas of who does the government value more, the big multi-billion dollar company or the people who live there. And right now, the bill to give Boeing these tax breaks is working its way through the council. Uh, there could be a final vote on it as soon as next Tuesday. And so we'll be keeping our eyes on to see what happens. And, you know, if uh, if Boeing ends up developing these, the, the really difficult thing here is that nobody really knows what Boeing wants these facilities for mm. because they might be uh, associated with defense contracts that are highly classified and you and me wouldn't be able to look at them uh, really, you, you would need like a special clearance, clearance to be able right. to understand and look at what they're, uh, what, what these contracts even are. 
Eric Schmidt is STLPR's economic development reporter. His reporting on Boeing, as well as new salmonella sensors shaking up the chicken supply, are available at stlpr.org. The latter story was produced in partnership with Harvest Public Media. Eric, thanks so much for coming in today. Thanks for having me. It's been a great time. This episode was produced by Elaine Cha. With audio engineering by Aaron Dorr. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Understanding starts here. St. Louis on the Air proudly supports local artists by using music from Life Creative Group. Do you find yourself regularly listening to episodes of St. Louis on the Air? Suggest us to a friend you think might enjoy our conversations. And leave us a review and rating on Apple Podcasts on the App Store. It's the simplest way to help people discover our show. Thank you. St. Louis Public Radio is a member-supported service of the University of Missouri-St. Louis. Support comes from Missouri Forest Products Association, committed to sustainable and sound conservation of the state's forests, which support more than 41,000 Missouri jobs, resulting in a $10 billion industry. Choosewood.com.